Gary Scott. I declare bankruptcy. Bears eats Battlestar Galactica. Depression. Isn't that just a fancy word for feeling bummed out? Twenty wigger and slut. Not only the years we've been at war, but from the moment as a child when we realized that the world could be conquered. You're listening to Great Scott, the Office Podcast. I'm Jay Ray, and with me is my desk mate, Jacob. Hey, how's it going, everybody? Uh, we are coming at you with more Office goodness. Uh, coming at you from the Broken Jars Broadcasting Network. Yes, uh, and if you would like to help us out, uh, visit our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash broken jars. You can come hang out on our Discord and all that other cool stuff. But I don't know how much actual office goodness is coming um, in these episodes. You know, I thought that as I was watching them, I was like, oh man, this is all going to be a drag. But I, I was surprised. I don't know why. I've seen these episodes a thousand times, but in the context of having to talk about them, I was surprised. So I guess we'll see. But I think I see where you're coming from with your, your forecast of negativity. Yeah, I, so anyway, we start off with Season 7, Episode 5, The Sting, written or written by Mindy Kaling, directed by Randall Pinehorn. So, you know, there's some pros right there. They've been, uh, you know, they've been around the block a few times in the office. And obviously, yeah. Mindy yeah. is, you know, Kelly, so. Uh, yeah, so we start out, uh, Oscar has gotten a bike that's the same as Lance Armstrong's bike. And this was before he was completely and totally like defrauded as a cheater. That's right. Which to be fair, everyone cheats in the cycling. So, you know, whatever. But like, this is when we start getting like the rich, douchey Oscar type person. Like, cause he just becomes this more, he spins more. He does all this other stuff. So um, he just becomes a lot more like rich douche, you know, douche person going forward. I mean, he's always been kind of materialistic uh, because like if you recall during Crime Aid, he had lost his laptop and that was like a really big point of contention for him. It wasn't so much the safety of the office was uh, ruined, but he his personal item was gone. Couldn't even care about Kevin being prone to surges now. Yeah, I know. Terrible. Yeah, this is, but this is the start of the um, actually version of Oscar. Cause it's like, Oh, right. Well, yeah, I always took it as uh, the writers realizing that Michael's going to be leaving soon. Right. Um, right. And that's, yeah, that's exactly how I feel as well. Where it's yeah. like, developing uh you know this is a big uh we start to get a lot more daryl you know in these episodes this is probably why they feel weird to me is because they're they're definitely like starting things right that are going to start snowballing because this you know this is some of the bigger daryl stuff in the next episode that we've seen today yeah yeah i mean since his move up and it's interesting because every time uh, Daryl moves forward in his career, it's a similar kind of contentious moment between him and Michael, right? Because he got brought up um, to the office kind of going over Michael's head, but in front of everybody at once, right? Right. 
um, during that uh, Joe Bennett Q&A session or whatever. I don't, I don't know that. I mean, I wouldn't consider that going over his head because she was like, hey, you want to have ideas? And he's like, yes, I do. And he had one and it was good. Yeah, I mean, I don't hold it against him at all, but um, that, I'm, sure that's, but I'm not sure that's how Michael feels about it, I guess. Mm-hmm. Anyways. One thing we do learn in this episode is the absolutely rigorous two spinning classes a month exercise regime that Michael has. Yeah. Like all that's going to do for you is make you sore twice a month. You're not going to get any benefit out of that at all. There's some cardio there though. Yeah, but you're not doing enough of it to um, oh, really right. do anything, you know? His regiment. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's exactly right. Um, well, so what's interesting about that is that Michael doesn't seem to know how to ride a bike. Right. We, we learned that Michael has no idea how to ride a bike. Um, though the last time he rode one, he did, and that had those training wheels. Right, right. We, we, we learn all about his inability to do that and his, the training wheels. You know, I was thinking about it, I was like, man, when was the last time I actually rode a bike? It's probably been like 10 years since That's I've a ridden time. a bike. I feel like I've, I've ridden a bike once a year, at least, since I stopped needing to ride a bike to go to places. Right, right. I mean, you ride a, well, at least I rode a bike a lot in college. I was a longboarder. Well, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it's been a long time. I, I think it's been like this summer after I graduated from college is the last time I rode a bike. Is there no reason to ride one anymore? Yeah, I mean, when I would go on vacation and stuff, you know, we'll take a bike to the beach or some something. Ooh, look at you, Mister! Yeah. I've got a. Well, because you know, I wanted to make sure that when the cops busted me for buying meth from the homeless folks at the beach, I could easily navigate. You know, in the uh, whatever. <laughs> whatever works for you. Now. Whatever <laughs> works for you. So uh, I can't drive. It's very funny. Um, and then we go, we kind of start with this really odd talking head between Jim and not between Jim and Dwight, but they're like co-giving it, right? Right. They're, they're meeting with some, uh, client, Steve Nash, Steve Nash, who is not the Steve Nash, which is a very like time specific reference. Like yeah. Steve, Steve Nash was in the semi-national zeitgeist for like two years. Right. Right. Uh, did you know who he was when they said it? No, not at, not at any time when I had seen this episode that I know. He not is before, the best. Can, well, I want to. I'm pretty sure it's right. He is the best Canadian um, basketball player ever. Okay. Take your word on it. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I mean he I mean he'll probably be in the NBA Hall of Fame. I mean, he's was very talented. I will say the one thing that put me off in this talking head was kind of like the the instant animosity between him and Dwight. Like at this point they had done some party planning stuff together and you know I mean, were seasons like outwardly negative moments, and this whole conversation is just like bad. Right. Yeah. It is. It seems forced. 
you know, maybe maybe it's because you know Dwight doesn't like the idea that he might be losing a client, so that's why like it's uh like he's pissy. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's just it's just odd. It's an odd choice because like the that Dwight calls Jim a jock hipster, right. which is like a thing that doesn't exist. Um. And I, and rightfully so, as Jim says, I don't think I'd call him one of those either. But um, so it's like this awkward tension leading up to a punchline that's like a line. Yeah, it just doesn't really work at all. Yeah. So, yeah, it's whatever to me. Like, I just don't have a lot going on for these episodes, really. So I'm going to do my best. All right, all right. So this is the introduction of Danny Cordray, who sells for Osprey Paper, who we've never heard of. Right. And, you know, they are obviously only two years old because they, Michael, they would have called Michael when they realized that he was no longer with Thunder Mifflin, right? Uh, and Michael would have known about them when he was looking for people to work for in season five. Um. Well, because you're thinking they would have called him to like poach him, to like headhunt him. That, or you know, uh, when he was looking for people, if they are, you know, if they are in the market, he would have known about them. You know, instead of just having Prince Family Paper on there, he would have at least known about Osprey. Yeah, I mean, I guess I'm not sure. I mean, I, yeah, it could be just a silly retcon thing, right? Needing this. Uh, worthwhile competitor for the sake of the storyline making sense right uh but on the other hand part of me i mean dunder mifflin themselves haven't fully acknowledged how important michael was even at the time of dunder mifflin kind of dissolving you know Mm -hmm. um so i feel like similarly competitors won't know that michael scott is actually some type of secret genius (laughs) i mean it's one of those things that where if like if, if a, a large competitor in your area, their exec or manager leaves, you give them a call. It's just good business. Maybe. I don't know. That sounds like white nonsense, bro. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, even if you know nothing about them, you're like, hey, well, they have connections and we need to take down our big rival. So maybe they'll come talk to us. All right, seems bold. I guess that's what business people do. I'm I'm a creative type, Jacob. <laughs> Talking very very, uh, you know, da da da. That's not me, man. All right. So so you're not all into the Sun Tzu art of war? You know no, Jesus, no, 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 no. I've read it. It's terrible. Don't bother. I appreciate everyone's it. Like, everyone's like, you got to read it. It's great for business. I'm like, no, it's awful. Yeah, no, doesn't sound like a treat. <laughs> I, you know, it kind of depends on what kind kind of business person you want to be. But anyway, so we have this B storyline, which really starts to develop Andy much more in depth. Yeah, so Broccoli Rob uh, becomes uh, like a singer in a for a local Vermont ad for like milk for milk, right? Yeah. So, but like, how big is Vermont? Like, it's got a. Uh, 
can't be that big. Like, I mean, this has got to be like, yeah, 625,000 people in the entire state. Like, this has got to be one of those, like, they spent $25 on the ad and Broccoli Rob did it for kind of right. Things. Right. <laughs> this is uh, how it well, Andy finds out he's reading something. He's like reading like some type of uh, Cornell like, alumni magazine or something. Yeah, yeah. Um, so they always blow those out of proportion. <laughs> I mean, I know I read mine. I'm like, whoa, yeah. That like the only thing that's really come out of like my school that people might know is some some grad sold a product on Shark Tank to like all five sharks. I see. So, but that's that's the only reason people might know my university's name because it's so tiny. But they always blow up the proportions in like, uh, you know, in the in the magazines and stuff. Like, oh, we made the Division Three NCAA tournament for the first time. I'm like, wow, we're awful. <laughs> we're the 500th best team I mean, in college basketball. Well, I will say, uh, this is 2010. I mean, like, I don't read any alumni stuff, and I don't, I don't think age between us is that large. I feel like everybody dang what they're doing because of Facebook, and like in 2010, Facebook is not what it is today. You know, Facebook was still a, a social media, super popular one, but I mean, Facebook was still you know, wasn't doing the news. Yeah, but I mean, I guess my point is like, first on the Facebook, where like maybe you needed to be a college address still. You know? uh, Although I think they put it up in I doubt it. I doubt it. Well, anyways, my point is alumni managers. <laughs> I already know everybody who's won an Emmy who graduated with me because they brag about it that I didn't. They're like, oh, do the Ritz Club. I do. Broken jars. X Y Z. I'm popular, motherfucker. That's what I say. All right. So, yeah. So he's kind of bugging out. So uh, we get to see Andy kind of try to figure out how to solve some of his, um, you know, this pent up creativity he's got so that he can show the world at large that he's still got what it takes, whatever that is. Right, right, for sure. And, you know, it gets, so he starts like, this is when he recruits Daryl for his band, which is pretty much there until the end of the season in one form or another, or in the end of the series, I should say, in one form or another. Yeah. Um, Kevin also gets pulled in, as we all know. Right, the he's a drummer. I mean, it's great in this city. Yeah. City too. Um, like, part of me wonders how many Scranton he found until he just ran out of people that would play with him. Yeah, probably a decent amount. <laughs> he seems like that kind of guy. Right, right, for sure. Uh, so, so uh, Jim and Dwight walk into this lobby to wait for their meeting. They see Mr. Danny Cordray, portrayed by Timothy Olenfant. And, uh, you right. know, they... Which, great actor. Kind of weird that he's in this. This is when you start getting, like, the bigger, high-end, like, guest stars and stuff. Yeah. It's all... Like, is he only in these two episodes? It. Like, this one and the next one? Like, he's not really around much after this. Yeah, I think that's right. Yeah. 
Um, I think maybe maybe a third one down the road, but right, like, <laughs> really like it feels like they're like, oh crap, we need some kind of storyline to get us through this hump because they are almost to, um, you know, Michael leaving. Yeah. So um, Jim and Dwight know, and they know that he is a good salesman who can steal their clients. And, uh, you know, it's even something that Dwight admits himself as someone who has won the Northeastern Pennsylvania Salesman of the Year Award or whatever. Right. And we, and we we learned that he's like all like like yeah sorry my my brain was trying to make two separate points at the same time <laughs> we learned that um like even dwight's like he's amazing you know which is something to be said that dwight himself is saying oh my god this guy he's awesome yeah i will say the dwight uh they have this strategy of trying to intimidate Danny so that he may be inclined to leave. And Dwight goes in with a comment about a woman saying that's the largest penis I've ever seen. Now, funny. And uh, a very obvious joke to make, indicating that one's own wiener is bigger than anything anybody's ever seen. There's a twist, however, because this is a penis that in this lying scenario was seen at a museum um, right. And then we find out that the big quote unquote penis moment is that he spent a thousand dollars on each ticket. Right. And there is actually a, a penis museum and it is in Iceland. Phallus.is. The Icelandic phallological museum contains a collection of more than 200 penises and penile parts belonging to almost all land and sea mammals that can be found in Iceland. Great. That's yeah. wonderful. It's a little far to see penises. <laughs> Visitors will encounter 55 specimens belonging to 16 different kinds of whale, one specimen taken from a rogue polar bear, Ooh. 36 specimens belonging to seven different kinds of seals, walrus, <laughs> and 151 from various land mammals. Man, it's a lot of dung. It is a lot of dung. Um, Anyways, so we, uh, we also find out that uh, Pam had gone on a couple of dates with Danny. That's uh, next episode. No, you have, you have your notes here. It says fizzled with Pam. Uh, Number 13. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, maybe I just threw that in there. Um, I mean, that's all it is, though, right? We don't get into any specifics. We just find out that this is a, a connection that Jim has oh, to this guy. right, right, right. Like, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, I remember. But then we have the, yeah. And then uh, they call Michael to, to try and close this deal because whoever, I don't remember the name of the... Um, the customer, but apparently they've been with Dunder Mifflin forever. Right. So somehow Danny talks them into signing with them, even though they don't have as good of prices or, you know, have, um, you know, as good a customer service as Dunder Mifflin does. Yeah. I mean, Michael offers them free shipping. He even says he's going to sell it at cost, which is like nuts. 
Right. I'm sure the contract's going to have like a thousand pieces of fine print stipulating that this is like a 30 day thing only or some nonsense, but it's an enticing offer and the dude doesn't play ball. He uh, says he's switching and uh, the three of them are pretty dejected, but then they have to come up with a plan. Mm-hmm. Well, another thing that like, you know, there's other areas for Dunder Mifflin to make money off of a big contract by giving them the paper so they sell to them at cost, and then they can sell them other things, you know, other supplies. So sure, they're not going to be making as much money, but it's better to have a little bit of something than a whole lot of nothing. Right. Uh, and so they call Michael, and he's in the middle of a meeting about something that I don't know. <laughs> and yeah, they call him in, and like he's super excited. He's like, "Oh, you thought my sales days were over?" But I quit just to be called reluctantly back in. He's like super giddy that Jim and Dwight called him in to try and get the uh, the save the account from Danny. Right. So this, uh, I mean, Meredith. <laughs> Meredith is the the central piece of this plan. And, um, right, right. So, yeah, they're, they're going to try and watch how Danny sells. Um, so they set up in Dwight's office, which is one of the only times we see this office, because we see it later on. Right. But it looks a lot bigger. Yeah. Um, so, I, so I guess they change it up. Um, So they, they decide that, okay, they're going to make Meredith the um, head of Pennsylvania Solar Tech, yep. set her up, and try and figure out how Danny does what he does. I mean, there are four cameras, right? This is a high-tech setup. There's a close-up on Danny. There's a close-up on Meredith. There's a a wide shot of the whole room and there's a fourth camera that eludes me, but I mean, they've got this room covered. They're basically in a cubby just next door and Meredith is to have Danny pitch to her so that they can learn his technique. Right. Right. And yeah, it's just one of those weird things. And like the reason they use Meredith was because her uh, lunch lined up, lunch lined up. I was, it's 2 PM. Well, one, do they, do they still, do they have like set lunch schedules or did she have other meetings that she couldn't eat before? Like two o'clock seems like a really late time to have a regular lunch. Uh, personally, my lunch is around 1.30 to 2, if I can time it out that way. Mine's generally about 1 to 1.15, but still two, that's pretty late. I mean, let's get into the hmm, maybe I should just wait till dinner to eat, kind of. Unless you, unless you eat at like 9 o'clock or something. Well, I mean, if we know she is the only person in her department, right. so she can't really delegate. And um, she uh, she has a liquid diet, probably, if we recall. She's got a <laughs> drinking problem. So I wonder, too, if maybe uh, some of the concerns you're sharing are not in, not important for someone who is just drinking booze out of a 7-Eleven big gulp, you know? <laughs> I mean, you still got to eat. Booze isn't that filling. I mean, drink a lot of it then. (laughs) 
I mean, either way, I, it's, it's not that weird, I guess. A lot of a lot of people in my office don't take lunch till one, uh, and we can't take lunch at the same time because of whatever stupid nonsense. So I, I could see it. <laughs> God, dude. Well, it uh, seems like you eat lunch too early, Jacob. Sometimes people need a break in the afternoon; otherwise, it might bash their face into their computer monitor. Well, luckily, I get to leave because I get to work really early. I leave about three thirty every day, so my yeah, I'm at work my, till six. So yeah, my afternoon isn't long, but I also generally am down at my desk about seven fifteen in the morning, if not earlier. Yeah, but you're also eating breakfast earlier. Oh, yeah, it's called a protein shake. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, yeah, but I mean, if the office day doesn't start at 9 and Meredith is local, she could be eating breakfast at 8. Or, yeah, or, you know, as a lot of people do, catch you know, breakfast on the way in, so she might be eating breakfast at 9. So Yeah, yeah. Well, that's what I'm saying. There's reasons. Yeah, it could work out. It could work out. I just, for some reason, it seemed like a weird detail. Okay? All right? I'm stretching the best I can here, man. There's not much in this episode. Well, we could move past it, but you're, you put a, what a weird flag to plant your <laughs> plant on your hill. Um, okay, so um, Andy is singing with the fellas. Jacob has a problem with his high-pitched voice. Like, I don't – why does he always – he's got a good voice. I don't know why he, like, always retreats to that stupid it's high called, falsetto. Yeah, it's falsetto, and it's because it's fancy. I mean, that's just his style. Also, comedy. That's why. Oh, yeah. yeah <laughs> I think awesome. that's the point of needing a, a plot point reason for why Andy does silly things. It's, <laughs> they just needed him to be silly. Um, and it also opens up for this next line where Kevin says he can, has a unique voice like Bob Dylan, you know, I think right. showcasing this thing here. But um, <laughs> let's see, smoldering like a tire fire. What right. That? That's uh yeah, they it, Andy no, right. Dwight is, they're watching uh Danny sell the Meredith and it's like, yeah, he's smoldering like a tire fire. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, like he takes off his jacket and I think it's pretty apparent that he knows that Meredith is into him. I mean she's not a, doesn't have a great poker face either. Her eyebrows are like cartoon style off her face they're so up <laughs> if she was a cartoon fox her eyes would would be out of her face yeah that's a whole awooga moment you know <laughs> uh, um so yeah meredith's clearly trying to bang this dude everybody's like kind of taking off their jackets and he's being like respectably flirty i guess um he's just comfortable but she's like unbuttoned and stuff and she's right because he says something about you know he thinks that the first meeting is kind of like the first day and she's like well this is like a third day she starts like unbuttoning her top and she asks him to come around like if she can come around the desk yeah yeah so uh, so the guys are like okay well we need backup to kind of bring meredith in and switch it out so the first selection is oscar who right uh, run Stark Industries. Yeah, that was that was Ryan. Well, Dwight suggested it to both of them. Did he? I didn't catch. I, I thought he only suggested Ryan. Yeah. Uh, well, because Jim came up with some nonsense, and Dwight's like, "That's a fake company." <laughs> Say Stark. Right. Um, uh, yeah. I, Meredith gets, doesn't get any. Uh, Meredith. So Oscar doesn't get. Oscar any. wasn't available, but they can grab him in a pinch. Right. Yeah, I just don't, I'm not buying that they couldn't get anybody else because they were able to bring in Oscar 
what a what weird thing that you keep bringing up. It's so stupid. I mean, obviously at this point, their plan has gone so awry that now they're taking people away from their job. Right. Like, that's the point. They don't want to film a soft, probably right. a hardcore porno, honestly, if Meredith's responsible. Oh, uh, you know Danny would have bolted. Danny seems like an upstanding dude. Do you think he could have? Not, not, not to make light of commentary in today's political are, are climate. Saying but I'm saying, I think Meredith have, have raped. I day. think Meredith would have like knocked his head in with a chair and banged <laughs> that dude. That's what we should be talking about. Anyways, Oscar gets in, says like one thing, but Meredith immediately, in a good improv style, says that this is a Spanish-only speaking gentleman who cleans. And Oscar, following the improv rules, says yes and, and continues and starts to clean whatever. And, and we learned Danny knows Spanish. That's correct. And like, oh yeah, I feel bad for Oscar here because you know it's like it's like what what's going on? Yeah, no, yeah, has no idea. And apparently, because Danny is so good looking, um, you know, Dwight has to tell Oscar to forget that he's gay. Right. <laughs> So after this falls through, they grab Ryan and right. similar stick. You're the CEO of whatever, but Ryan doesn't like the Stark industry suggestion. He goes with I run Google. Right. Which is what Chad Schmidt. I know it's Schmidt is the CEO of Google. I can't remember his first name. Well, he starts naming people in like Google's history or whatever about how like, whatever, it doesn't matter. He gets cut off. They just chuck him into the room anyways. And Meredith quickly, same deal. His name is Miguel, I think, and he has to clean the floros, uh, which is Spanish for floors, if you didn't know, according to Meredith. Uh, so there she is. She's got like a leg up on the chair. Her buttons are all the way down on her shirt. She's got two dudes cleaning all over the place, and Danny's trapped in between her thighs. Basically. Right. So he, he's just trying to bolt. Yeah. And Michael jumps in there, um, and so Danny kind of loses it. Um, that so he's trying to leave and Michael very adeptly uh, whatever whatever the word I'm looking for is convinces him to join Dunder Mifflin yeah this is a great moment Um, Michael really there's there's a few moments in these two episodes where Michael really showcases his skills as like a manager and a salesperson you know mm-hmm. um and this is one of those moments where he gives <clears throat> you know tanny this kind of like you know do you want more freedom or less freedom in this like tricky like what's that question that the what they always ask like have you stopped beating your wife yet where right. either answer indicates whatever you know well, there so, is no uh, good answer Right. So, so, you know, Michael poses this question to him and then as you pointed out earlier, brings up the better quality and better price of Dunder Mifflin paper and how with Danny's skills and that product, how there's no way like he wouldn't be selling a butt ton of money. Right. You know, it's a really true thing because once Danny is on their team, he cannot go to the clients that they already have. Right. Right. I mean, if anything, he's just going back to his own clients first to steal them to Dunder Mifflin. Right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's, um, a, that's, that's probably another paper company that Michael Scott doomed to death. Thank goodness. 
Poor Osprey getting the Prince family paper treatment. Yeah. Uh, so Michael goes upstairs with Danny and he does this little intro to the whole office that uh, Mr. Timothy Oliphant was going to start working there as a traveling salesman. Right. And we get a lot of uh, reactions from different people in the office, right? And Kelly's just like, fuck me. Yeah. Um, so I see here that your wife has a Yeah, positive. I asked her, I was like, so what do you think? Because I asked her, I was like, is, I mean, what do you think of Timothy Olyphant? He's a good-looking guy. She's like, standing next to Michael Scott, he's a 12. But on his own, he's like an eight and a half. I'm like, all right. Wow, she is selling Steve Carell way too short. <laughs> well, he's a short dude. Well, he's not a bad-looking guy, though. Hmm? She hmm? hates Michael. Like, she, she loves the office, but she hates Michael. She's a racist. She clearly <laughs> has something against white dudes. Uh, um yeah, my uh, girlfriend also likes what? She married a white dude, so I don't know what to tell you. Well, sometimes people settle, Jacob. Just kidding. No, Just kidding. Good. Just kidding. Uh, yeah, I know my girlfriend is also into Timothy Olin fans, so that that all works out. Um, <clears throat> so this happens, and uh, Dwight tries to do this really interesting tactic of calling him out and calling him a thief in this really impassioned and very public speech about uh, how terrible this is all going to be for everybody. And um, he, he, he's like, where are my car keys, in fact? And he finds them. He's like, all right, well, I'm over it. This is kind of like this. He kind of negotiated against himself, um, which is a, a funny little thing. And I, and I skipped it, but all the reps go into Michael's office to ask him what the hell is his problem. And uh, he starts off by trying to do the, do you want to stay the same or do you want things to get better? Everyone wants to stay the same. Right, which is like the exact same question he had asked five minutes before, but it does not work on his staff who is already tired of his crap. Uh, But yeah, similarly, he also does a pretty good impassioned speech about explaining how he's not going to steal their clients anymore. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, really, Michael brings it all home at the end of this episode of like really showcasing how he can like bring this office together and have a good staff. Though he does have one oversight who is, uh, they've already got a traveling salesman. Top hacker. Like, can you have enough? Like, I don't know. To me, like to have, um, that it doesn't really matter as long as they're making their salary and pay in sales. Right. Like, yeah, I mean, I guess like my company has sales folks, but they are obviously scattered. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't know if Todd is based locally, as is Danny. I guess that could be why it's a problem. Could be. Yeah, it could be. But there's no telling where... Um, where Todd really goes, right? Where Todd goes or where Danny is from. You know, he could be there. He could be anywhere in PA, really, or being where they are you know new york or some other different states wouldn't be hard uh yeah it's true but i mean i guess that's that's just why it depends because uh we don't really know where sabers current um places are you know right Mm -hmm. um and i guess i'm trying to think about it because saber bought dunder mifflin right Mm-hmm. But did they buy all the branches or just Scranton? Uh, they bought everything. 
so there are other theoretically all the other branches of Dunder Mifflin running too, right? What didn't maybe they you know trimmed them down because they still have Utica, we know of that. Uh, you know, from lecture circuit, we know that was lecture circuit was before the buyout, right? Yeah, yeah. Well, because I guess I'm wondering, does Holly still work for Dunder Mifflin slash Saber? Uh, because she, yeah. she comes to screen. Right, because to fill in for Toby. Yeah, so that's why I was wondering, like, did she just yeah. get transferred there or was she doing something else? And maybe Joe Bennett had someone headhunt Holly and be like, hey, we know you used to work for us and we have this position. Would you like right, to? Right, but the way Michael put it was she works for the, she, he says the Utica branch. So. Or Nashua. Nashua, right, right. So yeah, Nat yeah. and. So if she still works for. There's this um, idea that well, it's it's it is um, Saber. said that she has to go back to Nashua when Toby comes back. Right. And so we uh, and we see some of that, and that's why they she quits so she doesn't have to go back. And then they decide to move to Colorado. Right. So I was I was looking at the dates a little bit. So. The first season of Justified from FX, which stars Timothy Olenfant, Olenfant, Fant, whatever, uh, premiered in March. And so you got to figure this episode's probably recorded in like August, right? Yeah. So I wonder if they were like, if Timothy Olenfant like got on and was going to do more episodes, but then Justified got renewed for a second season. No, probably not. I think he was kind of a bigger actor. You know, he had done Deadwood already and he'd been in a couple flicks. So I felt like this was just set up to be a cameo. Because not for nothing, but in the next episode, the whole Danny, Jim, Pam thing gets resolved. Mm-hmm. So he wouldn't have really had much conflict. And Dwight points out that there's no desk for him. Yeah, maybe. Like and, we had, and like, when was the last time we had seen Todd Packer, you know? It's been forever. So I feel like, yeah, they just they didn't need one more character not to write for, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, so maybe the only thing we really need to touch on is Dwight describes um, Pam as a plain hardy woman of Scranton that makes this town great. Yeah. <laughs> Yep. So, uh, what do you think, man? What would, you, what would you give this episode? It's just kind of there. Like it's, it's almost a, it's almost a backdoor pilot for the rest of the series. So we start developing Daryl. We start developing Andy. All this other stuff. I just there's, I don't know. It's very meh. It's just not a lot. It's not that funny. So I'm going to give this a one out of five jock hipsters. Also something I do not like. Yeah, no, I uh, disagree. I think it's, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time in the past couple episodes of Great Scott talking about how they did stupid things with Michael, making him kind of go back to being a dick Mm -hmm. after we spent six seasons of him becoming a better person. Right. Uh, so this episode, especially in the latter half, really showcases Michael's 
adult professional ability to be a regional manager. Right. And I do like that. It's not that this episode is not without gems. It's just a few and far between. They're, they're, it's really not funny. Um, and it's not awkward enough to really be memorable in that either. It's just kind of lukewarm bleh episode. Well, I mean, this, and I think this is why, because, um, so we, cause we didn't really finish either Andy's storyline, but you know, uh, him and the guys start talking and then they start jamming and Andy kind of has this growing moment within that self-contained bit where he sees that, you know, Daryl is a good musician, which the audience has known, but Andy's kind of up his own ass. So he, and he's right. Well, and this is also project. where we, Andy sort of has that realization that he feels like life has passed him by. That he doesn't know who he's going to be, right? He, like, and it really hits home with with the way his character's developed of his him saying, um, you know, I've got a closet full of means. So part of me is like, it's a that's a really good um, character development going forward, which we see him start to pull through especially as you become a manager and everything else so that's really nice and it's really profound especially for andy um and that's the first like really profound moment he gets yeah he gets some big moments but not like character profound moments and so that that's really good and that's good later on but it feels so throwaway when they do it uh Sure. I, I mean, that's why you gave it the one. I'm explaining why I gave it the 3.5 so we can just, you know, not jump down. My, well, I mean, it's just a lot of good people moments, you know. Yeah. It's 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 a lot of real Michael. It's not the cartoony uh, fire drill episode with people having heart attacks and wearing Hannibal Lecter faces and dancing in the middle of a CPR class because Michael singing Staying Alive is so goddamn catchy, you know. Like, it's it, it even though there are some oddness in the moments, the episode has some good people stuff, I think. So I give it a 3.5 out of five floros. <laughs> so, building. Uh, yeah, no, but I get it. It's, it's very different, but I think that's kind of what I liked because again, seven years into a show, you know, sometimes yeah. you look for something that's a little different. It's just like, it's, um, it's very much a transition episode. These two episodes are very transition. Mm. Speaking of, next up, Costume Contest, uh, directed by Dean Holland and written by Justin Spitzer. Um, and we get this uh, cold open that to me is very reminiscent of um, the betting that took place during season three, specifically the one involving Creed. Yeah, what will Creed notice? Yeah, yeah. So basically, Jim's talking to Andy. He placed his mug of orange juice onto Stanley's desk, which is, you know, a little weird, but fine. And um, as he's talking, Stanley goes to drink from his mug, gets Jim's instead, and sips the orange juice and doesn't really make a face or anything. Mm -hmm. Gets Jim thinking, what else won't Stanley notice? And we all know Stanley doesn't give a damn about this job. He's there doing crossword puzzles. Um, so they put it to the test and it's tons of stuff. There's covering his PC with a label that is the Dunder Mifflin desktop screen, right? Right. Um, They've put a dressing Kevin up as Phyllis and right. Uh, Andy being the satchel as yeah. and handbag. Right. Um, Andy takes his like shirt off completely and just has a tie on. Yeah. Yeah. 
Um, but then he notices that the clock is wrong. Right. Actually past five, so he leaves. And Dwight's there with a Shetland pony. Um, Oh, there's the whole uh, conference room meeting where all the chairs are pushed the other direction. Yeah. Um, Pam's wearing a mustache as Stanley walks out. There's the pony. Michael's wearing a vampire fangs and he's got his little cat puppet thing that's uh, Mm -hmm. doing the rock'em sock'em. Yeah, and Stanley's out. And, uh, you know, it's just a nice little bit reminding us that Stanley doesn't like it there. As if we needed the reminder. But um, I mean, I wonder if Stanley feels that he, um, you know, he's got a solid pipeline of customers. So it's just most of his job is just maintaining that relationship and renewing. So right. if that's what he's decided it's going to be, there's not a lot of extra things to do. Really. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, I'm not holding it against him. I'm just saying that, you know, as if this was all a surprise that he wouldn't give a damn about what the hell's going on in this office, you know? Right. But, um, so it's, it's, it's around Halloween here at Dunder Mifflin and we are, uh, having a costume contest to win one of those local coupon books that have a uh, value of $15,000 in savings. (laughs) Um, so we, you know, we get to see what everybody shows up as, um, we got Kevin Malone as Michael Moore. And I love how, uh, Oscar's like, so this is a edgy costume. What, what's kind of statement you're trying to make? It's like, oh, the statement is that I kind of look like Michael Moore. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that is just like a great juxtaposition of two thoughts. Like this, the, like Mike or. Kevin's like, I look like Michael Moore, so I'll be Michael Moore. And, you know, we see Oscar being the con- conscientious consumer later, so everything has to be something for Oscar. Yeah, well, he um, first he is um, wearing like a disco costume, and he right. also has like a midday change into this right mm-hmm. sensible consumer thing or whatever. Um, Aaron is wearing some type of demon mask, and that's about it. <laughs> Uh, we've got Angela as a giant penguin. Um, I forget what Kelly was, but she also has a mid-episode costume change. Uh, I forget what Kelly was, and I have no idea what she changes into. It's a very, like... She was Snooky, and then she changes into, apparently, Katy Perry. So if you're not familiar with the music videos of Katy Perry. I am not. I don't know uh, if I've seen a single one of them. We got um, Ryan is Justin Bieber. Uh, Andy uh, I thought he was Ryan Seacrest. <laughs> uh, no, 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 Justin Bieber, Jay Biebs. Uh Andy is Bill Compton from True Blood. Right. Stanley is a nondescript samurai warrior. Creed is a mummy. I, I thought it was pretty good. Like it actually does look pretty good. The, the samurai. Uh, oh yeah, no, that's. I mean, yeah, it's pretty legit. I don't know why he picks that either. Um, but I, I think all that all the people participating is to showcase how wanted this coupon book is for whatever mm-hmm. weird reason. Right, right. Um, like, generally, with those, con- generally with those coupon books, there's always one coupon that's stupidly good, and that's why right, everyone like, wants it. Worth it. Yeah. yeah. I mean, traditionally, those books retail for like forty bucks. Right. So, in terms of a book full of promotions, you'll probably never use. Mm-hmm. It's a pretty hefty price, but right. If the thing you want lines up 
being the coupon that breaks the book. Right. It, like I remember when, when I was in college, we had a student discount card, which was pretty worthless, except it was buy one, get one at Fazoli's, which I don't, do you know what a Fazoli's is? Is that a thing? Fazoli's is sort of a, a fast food Italian place, which was, at, which was pretty tasty, but a little bit expensive. Like it, it was like Chick-fil-A level of pricing, you know, not so higher in fast food. Okay. It was a full, and it was no limit. Buy one, get one. So you could go get like their extra long, extra large meatball sub or whatever and get another one free. And so you could get like four meals for like 12 bucks or whatever. So it was end up being, yeah. The rest funny. of the, D, yeah, the rest of them were like 10%, 5%, whatever. But this one, like that was the reason to have it was the Fazoli's, uh, uh, discount. I see. All right. That's fair. Good to know. Uh, just to finish the list, uh, Meredith is Sookie Stackhouse from True Blood. Toby's a hobo. Daryl was Dracula. Phyllis is Supreme Court Justice Sonia Sotomayor. Gabe is Lady Gaga. Todd Packer makes an appearance and he is a pregnant nun. Uh, Bob Vance is in it and he is Dirty Harry. And um, you, re- you rarely get a good look at Bob Vance. Yeah, you wouldn't be able to tell. That must be some director's commentary stuff there. Must be. Or like some, de- I would be surprised if it's a deleted scene. Yeah. Uh, Pam is olive oil of Popeye and olive oil. And which is one of, which kind of comes into play in the B storyline, or yeah, the B storyline of uh, Pam and Danny. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Cece makes an appearance as Sweet Pea, uh, Popeye's daughter. And um, at this moment in time, oh, Michael's McGruber. And then Jim is. Was McGruber an SNL thing or was it just like a random movie? Like, I know nothing about McGruber. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was an SNL thing first and then it became an SNL movie. Yeah, kind of like Superstar or whatever. Uh, So there you go. That's your Halloween costume list. But yes back into the episode so everybody's dressed up and they're gearing up for to get this uh coupon book or whatever um dwight is the strangler which is a nice touch he so his first appearance is trying to strangle jim jim yeah it yeah so but this is before they know who he is right yes right i don't think toby's been on trial yet because that's when he's away Mm -hmm. uh, for um what's your face to come back Holly, right? Yeah. Uh, and this is also like gets Oscar going on how the coupon buck really isn't worth fifteen thousand dollars. How do you have to spend like two hundred fifty thousand, right? Fifteen k in savings. Yeah. And no one cares. Not even Angela, who's generally all about this kind of stuff. You know, <laughs> like she's like, Pam did a really good job here. Yeah. Um. So there's an announcement here. Uh, that corporate has made a change and drivers will now be doing some sales. Right. Um, so Mad, Mad sells a printer or something. That's right. Yeah. So they're delivering paper and they're, they have the tools to sell. Right. Which makes also. total sense. They, the, you know, maybe they put in a order and forgot something or realize it just when they got there, like, Oh, we really need this. And now the, the drivers can be like, oh, hey, you're, you know, tablet or whatever. 
Yeah, right. Um, so Michael instantly recognizes that this is an idea that Daryl had passed to him a month or so before, and he had passed on it, I guess. And he feels terrible about it, and he goes about trying to make amends by announcing to the office that this was Daryl's idea, mm-hmm. uh, that Daryl deserves the credit, and that they're going to call corporate uh, to let them know that Daryl Philbin had it first. Right. Screw it to corporate. And Gabe comes in and is like, whoa, whoa. This was Daryl's idea. He came to me uh, and I sent it up giving him full credit. Yeah. Which is, you know, exactly what Gabe should have done. Right. Um, but Michael takes this as a personal slight and yeah, he's not wrong that it is going over someone's head, but Later on, Daryl makes the comment that, like, obviously it's a good idea, and Michael messed up. Right. And that is, yeah, that's really the long and the short of it is. Yeah. And I don't know why why Michael thought it was a bad idea. I wish there was some kind of mental reasoning for Michael in this of why he thought it was a bad idea. Right. Yeah, part of me only can guess that it's because he thinks – he doesn't think highly of the warehouse staff. Maybe. So I, so I wonder if he just thought maybe it's not doable. It, it really could be just that, that he thinks that they're salesmen and, you know, he doesn't think there should be any crossover, so to speak. Yeah. Yeah. He, he's a little, you know, collarist. <laughs> he's not so colorblind as he once said he was. Collar. Colors he sees. Collars? Right. Not sure. <laughs> white shirt blue shirt who knows um yeah like you said that's that's the big part so his, his storyline there with daryl is kind of this contention it's going between them trying to reconcile uh you know how they can move past this right um so packers around as we heard and we get this fun moment of uh packer sitting in that middle break room by the bathrooms and he's got a bunch of treat bags with like a you know, scary things in them, right? Eyeballs. It wouldn't surprise me if it was like Pam or someone had done that. Well, yeah. I bet that, yeah. He had his mouse, trouser mouse. (laughs) That's right, yeah. And uh, Danny's there and he's like, hey, you know, that's not going to go how you think it's going to go. Right, I mean, like, assuming the worst, which is a good thing to assume with Todd Packer, like, if a woman or anyone were to stick their hand down in there, that's immediate grounds for firing. Yeah, you can't go grabbing someone's dick just because it's in a bag. <laughs> just kidding. Well, just kidding. Right. Time we get fired. I get it. All these, you know, for all intents and purposes, have your dick out in the workplace during work hours. That's Bro, it's, a not, it's in a bag. It's in a bag. Come on, man. Why you got to be such a prude? <laughs> it's just hanging brain. No, yeah. Yeah, no, it's it's a terrible move. And it's like so, so obviously sexual harassment. Once someone touches it, it becomes assault. It's terrible. Yes. Todd, Todd needs and to be fired. You know what? St. Patty's Day is coming up and pinching in the workplace is assault. So be careful. There you go. <laughs> so Jim catches Danny during this whole dong mouse moment and, uh, puts the question he's like hey why did you never call pam back and this is after an awkward meeting where the three of them kind of 
meet in the conference room and have a moment and kind of hash things out. But there's this awkwardness between. Right. Pam well, and Pam definitely has this like, and that's it. Like it, she makes right. it feel like there's some kind of other thing going on. Yeah. There's something going on that she wants, like she wants out in the world. Um, and I guess kind of skipping also, Danny had invited the whole staff to his bar for a party and in solidarity in solidarity with Jim, uh, Kevin and Andy decide say they're not going to go to the party. Right. So the on themselves, they've said it. The yeah. Bar. Right. If it was in an old public school, it would be pretty cool. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so they've taken it amongst themselves to support Jim this way. They tell Danny they can't come. So now Danny knows something's weird. Jim confronts Danny in the break room. There's a penis out by the fridge. There's so much going on. Um, and we find out that uh, Danny says that Pam spent the whole previous day talking about Jim. Right. And so Jim is like, yeah. <laughs> Jim definitely has one of those I am a stud kind of looks on Like, yeah, fuck yeah. That's right. She took, that's goddamn right she spent the entire time talking about me kind of look on his face right uh, but then the next scene immediately because i guess he went and like the elevator scene where pam tells jim that her dad expressed how much jim loves pam <clears throat> uh jim was probably expecting to have a similar moment with pam reminiscing about this uh this date where she couldn't stop gushing about him mm-hmm. instead we are treated to a scene of Pam confronting Danny outside of the restroom now. Right. We find out this was not the case. Mm. And um, they're really pushing Danny. And is it awkward? I don't know. It is. I mean, it is awkward. Like, why, why is this a big deal? I mean, you know, it'd be one, it would be one thing maybe if Danny was like with or trying to get Pam but they're married and with a kid. It, so I don't know. It just seems. Weird. I mean, if we, if we think four years ago, um, I mean, that's beginning of season three. So now Jim is in Connecticut and Pam is freshly single after being with Roy for like five plus years. Right. She's going to date. We see one of the dates. It didn't go so well. Well, so I guess I wonder if Pam was in a pretty obviously vulnerable state. So having this dude show up who she feels kind of did her wrong. I wonder if that like is why she's having trouble just letting it go. And like, she needs this closure, even though there's like, she's not trying to win him or anything, obviously, you know? Yeah, it could be. Uh, I mean, that's the only thing I could think of. Otherwise it just seems kind of like out there that the, (laughs) that they're just hounding this dude about a date four years ago, you know? Um, but we find out that Danny thought that Pam was dorky. Right. And, you know, that's how it is sometimes. It's like it, sometimes you just don't like somebody that way, you know? Like not everything has to be something. Right. Well, and um, the beginning part of this episode was Pam kind of trying to get Jim to dress up as Popeye, kind of showcasing her dorkiness and you know not to make a list of dorky pam moments right but we've got pam dressing up as charlie chaplin in new york city and being the only person there mm-hmm. you know we've got uh i mean her being a drunk college student isn't really dorky that's about par for the course really <laughs> so you're supposed to do in college according to Mary. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, you know, later but, on. Right. But, you know, she's got like her weird little artsy sideways ponytail when she's got her art exhibit. Like, you know, Pam's a little quirky is all, you know, and not yeah, in a bad yeah, way, I mean, obviously. Who she is. Right, yeah. right. But I mean, Danny's not looking for that, you know. Uh, yeah, and that's that's fine, you know. Well, and Pam, and Pam says that too. It's totally fine. It's whatever. But I think it hits a note with Pam because all day Jim's been kind of pretending that dressing up is too cool for school. Right. And, 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 and confirmation. Yeah. And we know Jim is not a big costume guy. Well, you know, he dressed up as Facebook once. Right. And we do see a clip of that lost opening. Yeah. Um, but he says that he's too old for costumes, but he's not too old to constantly be pranking Dwight and all the other, you know, quote unquote childish things that he does. Right. Right. Um, so after all this and Pam is kind of hurt, maybe she's coming to some type of realization about her dorkiness affecting, you know, like maybe Jim thinks she's dorky, I think is the concern here that we see on her face, you know? Maybe, um, yeah. But then Jim next scene shows up wearing the Popeye costume. He's holding sweet PCC. Uh, he's doing a little, little sailor jig or whatever that weird foot motion was and stuff. And it's all very adorable. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. I just saw your note where you said Madge sells and I watch it with the uh, captions on cause I'm old uh-huh. and that is certainly not how you'd spell Madge, but that's fine. <laughs> I was I was I was trying I, to like as fast as I could, God damn right. it. Yeah. No, 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 I get it. You're doing like stenographer notes. It's no problem. <laughs> um, all right. So so back to the contest. Um so there are two costume changes here. No, three costume changes. Oscar changes from his disco dude to the uh the consumer thing, whatever the hell it was. Um Kelly shows up as Katy Perry, apparently. I thought right. she was some type of weird Willy Wonka jawbreaker thing, but that's fine. Yeah, that's what I that's what I was like, man. Yeah. Like is she supposed to be like and I I don't know exactly why, but like I got very um Aqua Barbie girl music video vibes from her costume. I don't well, know. She's so she's so stiff, I think is what it is. Yeah, I, I guess that's what it is, music. but I, I definitely like that's that's where my mind went. Yeah, yeah. And um, if you and don't then, know what that is, you're too young and I don't know. I mean, there. We, yeah, yeah, we've cursed too young. many times for you to be listening to this show. <laughs> um, and then Angela, biggest surprise of them all, shows up as a sexy nurse. Because that's all they had left. Yeah, that's what she says. <laughs> uh, and then she goes on this nice kind of fourth wall breaking monologue where she's like, we all know what sells here. Like, Let's all be adults. <laughs> it, right. And we, you know, we all... We also get a like one of the few looks at like the fact that Angela is really shapely and in really good shape. Like she's a very attractive one. Yeah, I feel like that is a like a that was like a costume choice that was made around season four as they started focusing more on Angela and Dwight. Because if you watch the first three seasons, she really does maintain that whole. Uh, super covered up super conservative thing but then they start giving her a little bit more like because like her sprinkles sprinkles yeah her sprinkles like morning outfit is like still mostly sheer you know mm-hmm. like it's sure it's black but she's it's risque is all i'm saying i don't know if i'd expect a super christian conservative lady to be dressing like that 
anyway, so uh, we get our um, so that we're gearing up toward the um, the parade, hmm. but Michael is is has it up to here, man, of people talking behind his back, right? And he can't let it go, and he turns to his left, and he sees a fist bump between Kevin and Gabe. The betrayal. I imagine this is how Caesar felt in the Ides of March, you know? <laughs> a very etu brute moment, is that what you're saying? Exactly, exactly. Etu Kev. And so he jumps in there. He's like, you don't talk to him. Like, yeah. Uh, and we find out that all Kevin was doing was telling him to power down like a robot. Right. Just, just a sweet, sweet dance move mm-hmm. that Lady Gaga can do. And, um, oh, my God. I mean, I was cracking up. It's just Kevin's breakdown here emotionally is just his face is red. He's crying. I think he's seconds away from snotting all over himself. Um, He's trying to explain this dance move situation. And instead of Michael apologizing for the misunderstanding, he kind of doubles down and says, well, don't let it happen again. Kevin just screams. He's like, do you think I'd ever let this happen again? No way, Jose. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and um, so Michael leaves and Kevin composes himself and he's about to leave and Gabe tries to do a comforting hand thing and Kev turns around and just goes, fuck you, Gabe. <laughs> it's it's yeah. great. Yeah. yeah. It is, like later on, I think it was during the costume parade that Michael comes out and uh, is Daryl. He's right. like, oh yeah, I'm hip and I'm jive. He's like, oh yeah, like I'm Daryl, you jerk. And, and I love how everyone's just done with Michael. Like they was like, when is dressing up as someone ever worked out for you? He's like, never. <laughs> yeah. This is, you know, this is after the whole him being Jesus. Right. Right. Uh, this is yeah. This is uh, this happened so many times. Well, and I got to say, uh, oftentimes I have discussions about 30 Rock, where they had one of their characters in two separate episodes do full-on blackface. Okay. And uh, I think it's funny. And I think I get it. Because, you know, they tried to do a weird thing by having a lady do blackface as a man. So there's like a lot of layers there. And, um, you know the questions always posed like, well, isn't that offensive anyways, even if you're trying to make a comment mm-hmm. and, and I don't find that offensive, but Michael coming out doing his Daryl impression, I was just, I felt very awkward. It was like a 22nd moment of dinner party for me, you know, where I'm just like, you can't do that, man. That's racist. You can't do it. And he does it. Do it. And, and he just goes and yeah, Kelly's just like, can you just for once let us enjoy a party yeah, without making it about all your crap. Yeah. And immediately we cut to our uh, our parade and we see all the costumes in action or whatever. Mm. And um, it's quick and it goes and Pam looks at all the votes because everybody has to vote. They can't vote for themselves. Mm. And uh, we find out that Oscar is the winner by some type of weird, you know, vote for someone else strategy that accidentally ended up in his favor. Yeah. Because um, so Kelly says, I'm going to vote for someone who's not going to win. Uh, Ryan says, you know, he's like, he's trying to shake it up. Yeah, yeah. He's exactly a Nader guy. I'm shocked that he is a quote-unquote Nader guy. Right. He probably doesn't even know what that means. No, I don't think so. Um, Creed voted for him because he thought it was a James Edward Olmos uh, cosplay or whatever. Right. uh, Which is also pretty offensive, but that's fine. 
Um, yeah, and then um, we get back to Jim's silly Popeye nonsense that's going down. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, man, I just saw your link here to Fazioli's or whatever. <laughs> Let's check that out later. Um, yeah, and then, I, you know, that's about uh, the end of the episode. Oscar wins, and, you know, that's it. Kind of, kind of fizzles there. Yeah, Oscar wins. My Michael and Daryl talk it out with Gabe, and then they decide they can go to directly to Joe if they want to, and all this other stuff. So, yeah, I mean, basically, they don't specifically agree that Daryl will always go to Michael. They right. just agree that they don't want to talk to Gabe anymore. Pretty much, pretty much. Yeah, yeah. That's kind of one of those. Uh, the enemy of my enemy is my friend. So. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> Uh, yeah, so what do you give in this episode? Um, you know, I thought this was also, pre- you know, and I don't know, maybe I was just in a good mood when I watched them because obviously I usually grade everything a lot lower. <laughs> but I think this was like a, you know, this was like a 3.7 out of fives because I look like them. Uh, yeah, it's a okay episode. Uh, better than the last one. Uh, I just, I don't know. On rewatch, the whole Danny thing just feels out of like it's it just feels weird, like you know, like it's these big is two chunk of two episodes that has just it's just there for no reason except to be, yeah. I mean, again, personally, and not again, not to interrupt your rating like you did mine so rudely before, but um. Yeah, I mean, that's why I tend to like the beginnings of these seasons better because they're just like one-offs that don't matter later because I think the stuff that matters later is kind of boring. And clearly, in this instance, we're finding that you feel the opposite in this context. Well, yeah. Well, the thing is, is to bring in this new... any, Any random thing between the characters in the show would have been better than bringing in someone new. Uh, yeah, no, I don't think so. <laughs> I mean, fresh. I mean, it's fine, you know. But we get to see like good partnerships between Andy and Kevin. You know, it, it's back to the team that fought to get the parking spaces back. Right. And, um, you know, there's a lot of like other good moments here, so it's interesting to see like this year apart that Jim and Pam spent something from that came to fruition, you know? Okay. Yeah. And again, it doesn't matter. Right. Cause four episodes from now, no one's talking about this, you know? Right. So but, um, uh, actually yeah. during the, ep- during our ep- recording, I have softened my stance and actually raised the grade on this episode to 2.5 out of five <laughs> public schools. I love it. <laughs> Uh, yeah, and that's going to do it for uh, Great Scott this week. Um, tune in two weeks from now where we cover Christening and the episode after Christening Viewing Party. party. Yeah. Which I hope Viewing Party holds up because I've always liked that episode. So we'll see. We'll see. Yeah, yeah. As always, visit patreon.com slash broken jars to give us some of your hard-earned money so we can keep doing what we do. 
Yep. Uh, you can find me at, at Jacob Eagles on Twitter. Broken Jars at XYZ is our website. Uh, Broken Jars Broadcasting at gmail.com if you want to email us. Yeah. So hit us up. Uh, we're in, we know you're out there. You know, we'd love to talk to you. So. Yep. Leave a comment on Reddit. Leave a comment or a review on iTunes. Hit us up on Google Music. I think we're probably there. Uh, whatever. Y'all have a good one. We'll see you in two weeks. Yep. Um, it will be the day after St. St. Patrick's Day, so you know you you can listen to us with uh, your your monster hangover. There it is. <laughs> All right. See ya. Bye. Later. <laughs>